0: No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast.
1: Welcome to Talking Bass in PDX as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark and I'll be your host. I'd like to welcome everybody aboard as we get underway. Let me cast off a few lines to get this podcast underway. I do have a special guest on this episode, but before we talk to them, let me talk to you about Talking Bass and PDX, the podcast. On the podcast, we're talking fishing in the Northwest, and if you enjoy listening, help us grow. Our show continues to grow each week with some of the great episodes that we've put out, but you can help us grow by telling your friends about the podcast and that we can be heard on Breaker, Spotify, Anchor FM, and now on iTunes. On this episode of Talking Bass and PDX, I will host Ed Chin of All About Adventure Excursions. Now, Ed is a second-time guest on the podcast, but on this podcast, I get to sit down with Ed one-on-one, and we talk fishing in the Northwest. Ed and I will be talking about how he got started in fishing and how he got into tournament bass fishing. Just a bit more about Ed before we get to the interview. After about 24 years in business, Ed decided to open All About Adventure Excursions. He can be found at AAA Excursions. Don't forget that Ed is a pro staff at Cabela's and represents Laurent's Electronics. If you have questions or would like to learn more about your electronics, Contact Ed. I will have Ed's contact information in the show notes. Ed's also a volunteer coordinator and boat captain for Catch a Special Thrill Kids Foundation, or as we know it here in the Northwest, Cast for Kids. And now, let's get on to the Ed Chin interview. So, on the line
2: with me today is Ed Chin, and welcome, Ed, to the uh, podcast.
1: Hey,
0: thanks, Don. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, today what I wanted to talk about, now everybody knows that fishing is on hold right now, and and, uh, I wanted to talk to you about your bass fishing career and how it kind of led up to you starting um, your um, guide service. So tell me about how you got started in fishing in general.
0: Well, it uh, it started out with Dad actually putting a rod and reel in my hand at a very young age. Uh, last I can remember is seeing at least pictures when I was at least three years of age, four years of age, having at least a rod and reel in there. But the one thing that always stuck with me was that anytime we went out on a trip, regardless if it was the first fish, only fish that we caught, I got to reel it in. And that's, I guess, what really got me started in there that the enjoyment of it seeing the experience feeling it you know catching the fish having something at the end of the line that's what hooked me I think from the beginning if I look back at everything else and even now raising my own kids you know that's what my goal was was always regardless of how tough the bite was and and you know if we were if that was the only bite we got I made sure that my son always reeled that first fish in so he got to experience that same experience and to this day he still uh you know loves fishing and is pretty crazy about it so i think that's the that was the key to to actually making sure that we were enjoying the sport a lot of times too was you know again having the snacks and you know all those little comfort foods and things that keep you entertained but you know just knowing that there was an opportunity at the end of the line i think was was interesting enough for me, but then the the real hook, per se, of the of getting into fishing was definitely being able to catch something. So that's that's always been uh you know something that I try and instill in people, and also to pass that on.
2: Where were some of the early places that you remember
0: fishing? well growing up here in the Portland area, uh you know, I said our we had plenty of waterways to fish from the banks of the Willamette, banks of the Columbia. We were we grew up in East County here in Portland and. Uh, Blue Lake was a very uh, popular destination for spot for us, but we spent countless hours on the banks of the Willamette River from Oregon City all the way to downtown Portland, fishing all these little nooks and crannies. When back then there was really nobody chasing any type of panfish or warm water species at the time, and bass and crappie and bluegill and perch were pretty prolific in the in the river, and that's what we primarily targeted uh you know as i as i grew up and started seeing that there was you know other fish to catch and you know getting in contact with other neighbors and friends and stuff and such that were interested in other species of fish and that really opened up you know my eyes to wow there's a lot more out there and of course the magic of tv also Uh, tourism and you know other seeing other people travel the world fishing for these you know these big swordfish you know billfish that are out there and tuna and all this and really just the different species of fish around really opened up my my eyes to fishing and you know really i'm you know been a sponsor of it and and a proponent of, of getting out to the outdoors and that's really what stimulated all of it was just the bank fishing on having that opportunity to sit there and wait for that bite and catch a few fish and because you were lucky enough to, to grow up here in the northwest uh, i moved up here
2: uh, in the 80s do you remember fishing uh down on the willamette uh, when they had the log booms and and uh, the logging was heavy do you remember fishing down underneath oh logs? yes
0: yeah that was the the log booms and all that that was primary structure out there i remember growing up there and my dad would have a little uh, his boat that we would fish out of we'd have a couple boats and we would tie up next to the log booms and we'd go around the back and then that was the thing was we would jump up on the log rafts and fish the little holes the pockets in between the the blog booms and we'd find a pocket that was rich in, you know holding a spool of fish and boy you could pull out hundreds and the fish out of there and and would load up a five gallon bucket or at that time was just a stringer and we would just string them up string up crappie by the hundreds and, and haul them out there and that's how we fed ourselves. But, yeah, those, uh, they were prolific all up and down the banks of the Willamette, and that's uh, basically when we fished. And so because those structures are basically
2: gone nowadays, do you think those fish moved to other areas, or where where do you think they
0: went? You no, know, the, the, uh, the fish definitely have moved around different areas. I mean, they're no longer there, obviously, using that type of cover, and so now they've adapted to other forms of cover, whether they're docks or, you know, I mean, other structures, rock formations and whatnot under the river, and there's definitely a, been a change in the pattern on where you locate these fish, but primarily they're still, you know, they will they will transition like any other fish will, and they will be out in the deep water at certain times of the year. They'll be up shallow at certain times of the year, and they'll be moving back and forth, and it's just a matter of trying to on top of them and trying to figure out where those fish are and locating them and and being able to, to pattern these fish, and that's goes to show you that these fish have adapted over the course of years, you know, have lost their habitat that they used to use log rafts as cover, and now they're just using other forms of, of either docks or, you know, bridge pilings or anything of such to, to use that as cover. So that, That's
2: interesting, and I, uh, I do fish the Willamette quite a bit. I do like the upper uh, part of the Willamette, above, uh, above the falls, so that's kind of my, my go-to place. Now, when did you get into more bass fishing? What caused you to get
0: more interested in that? I think, well, the bass fishing, if I can remember back, I when I uh, was in my working career, I was still chasing uh, a lot of just the panfish, and occasionally I was I was switching over, starting to fish these salmonoids too, salmon, steelhead, and and I ran into a coworker of mine, and somebody had made mention that he was a competitive bass fisherman and i you know said well i you know would like to meet him since we were on opposite shifts, anyways and so we developed a friendship and through that time then we uh you know he started showing me the ropes and he gave me the you know a, a ride and a first time at a bass boat at 60 plus miles an hour at this point my hair is on fire my you know eyes are watering I can't see you know I mean two inches in front of me and I've got to keep my eyes closed and wondering well, oh my gosh is this going to be my last boat ride so basically it was a uh an introduction to somebody that had been introduced himself and it was just passing on generation you know again information from another and we bonded and we just competitively fished together, and then uh, that's basically what stemmed my uh, stirred the passion for bass fishing was the competitiveness that was there, but more so than the competitiveness, it was the camaraderie that was the, that the fishing that bass fishing community brought and the loyalty that the community had shown was really was the draw. The competitiveness side, yeah, you can leave that on the on the doorstep at the at the end of the day but at the, and really what was the draw for me for bass fishing was just the loyalty and the friendships that we created of traveling across the country fishing different bodies of water meeting different people and just learning all sorts of different cultures and and uh, and techniques on how to catch these fish and there was no one thing that you know was was particularly uh, working here for this individual, but then, you know, hey, if you, you know, if you tried this or if you tried that, just the input and just the, there was just a lot more information that was out there, and it was, and I liked it, so, and that's basically what got me really started was that there was just so much to learn, ever-changing, it's never the same year after year, and then at that point, too, is, is the community you start growing and then the community also, too, embrace that, you know, this is, this is a pastime. This is something that can be passed on from generation to generation. And also, too, this is a, a you know, you're a steward of the outdoors. I mean, if you're out there, you see a piece of trash on the water. I don't have a problem stopping the boat, throwing out the net, picking it up, putting it in, because if I don't pick it up, somebody else will. And so... As long as I'm out there fishing on the bayou water, I'm also well do my part, whether it's pick up a piece of trash or whatever. But that's also too protecting the environment. So as a sportsman, I want to be able to protect the environment that I'm out there also, and too be able to have a clean place that I want to fish in. But that's what really got me started, and was really just you know meeting someone that was in the in the sport that was passionate about it, and then just learning and gleaning, and then just constantly just trying to figure out what to do and a lot of it was a lot of invention as well too but a lot of the information again was already out there so there wasn't a lot of inventing to do it was just a matter of getting out there and meeting people and trying the techniques and seeing if they would actually work for you so that's what's really going and, and when
2: you're when you're fishing bass are you more smallmouth type person or largemouth fishing or does it depend
0: on the body of water that you're going to it, it honestly, it depends on the body of water. I mean, bass fishing to me, whether it's smallmouth, largemouth. I mean, I you know, since we have so much smallmouth water around us nowadays, obviously the smallmouth are more prolific than largemouth, and and so I will tend to specialize more on the smallmouth side. Uh, but you know, depending on the body of water, if it has both smallmouth and largemouth, I mean, it's going to be you know still bass fishing, so I'm going to enjoy it regardless. But I truly, die I think just. Depends on the body of water. I mean, and where you're at.
2: Yeah, I was just, I was just curious because uh, some people are more uh, like one fish more than the other because they'll go to that body of water where you know when you're competitively fishing. I'm sure you're like, I just want to go and catch the fish. So that was, uh, that was the reason
0: for, for asking. Well, I was just saying the, uh, you know, when we're out there fishing, the, uh, the body of water definitely determines on what you know, what species you're going to be fishing for or what, you know, what's available out there. But if I had to pick one of the two, uh, you know, I mean, obviously smallmouth, I, I like them just cause I mean, I, I fished for them for so many years and just their fight in the river. And and there is some difference. You know, there's a, you know, there's some comparisons of the Southern reservoir smallmouth versus the uh, Northern lakes and river smallmouth. Uh, definitely different, uh, characteristics on, on either of those species of fish, and they are truly different in, in themselves. That uh, they will hunt different times and different forages, and so there's you know a learning curve. It is, but there's still generality. There's are still bass, and if there's a particular lure that should work in one area, generally will work in most other lures and in other locations.
2: And were you in some of the more competitive bass clubs that are in the Portland area, or were you were you more on the kind of
0: on the tour? uh i i started the uh you know starting out in the, in the fishing just to get my feet wet and understanding what the whole organization worked was uh was basically starting out at the local level at a club level and each club uh definitely is a little different some clubs are very leisurely some are clubs can get very competitive but in the end really the uh plateau of it all is being able to try to get out and fish on pro circuit events that's where really the competitiveness uh comes in and and really to to see if you're can match up against actually other fishermen out there that would consider themselves as pros now there's uh there's there's advantages of obviously starting out at a club level is that you First, you can work out all your kinks in your own little systems and fishing techniques and casting and everything where you're not going to waste a lot of time when your time is of the essence when you're at the professional level. Um, But in the same sense, you don't want to also beat up on the same guys over and over again in your club because that doesn't build any more techniques or skills for you you just know that you're the top angler of the club and that's about as far as you get so if you're going to advance your skills you're going to be wanting to compete at at the state level which what at one point i was the president for the bass federation of Oregon for 14 years and so i ran professional circuits at that point where guys could have opportunities to fish the next levels as, as fishing as a, at the Professional level where they would fish at nationals and compete against other state champions of the other 50 states, 52 states, including colleges and and uh, some some other foreign uh, federations that we had that that were part of it. And so that really set the stage in whether or not you could compete at that level, knowing that look, you know, I'm I'm this this state's best, but when you're paired up against the other state's best to figure out and see who can actually figure out these fish and there's a lot of pressure that actually builds up. And then at that point, the competition really stacks up to figure out, are you truly oh. a top-tier fisherman when you're fishing against these pros across the nation? And then when you're, if they, you are if reach that upper echelon of that 1% or that 2% of the top fishermen that are able to fish a professional event at the pro tour level, and be able to sustain it at some point well that's takes them obviously some deep pockets because you still got to earn an income and also too um, being able to have the mental and the physical um, stamina to withstand the, the countless hours of driving the countless hours of practice on the water and all the preparation that's needed and they're just the time away and then if trying to balance that with work or a family if that's not your full-time business, Uh, Profession that takes a lot on an individual, and it uh, really is a unique individual that has the ability to have funds and also time and the dedication to be able to get out there and do that. So that's definitely a uh, uh, something that can be can be done, uh, but it just takes a lot of time and effort to get there.
2: Now you were a state champion at least a couple of times, so you have fished at
0: that next level, then. How did you balance family and uh work and and fishing at that level? Well that was that was definitely a challenge for myself. I had made two national appearances for the state of Oregon, so I was two time Oregon state champion. Uh but being able to get there to the next level didn't come with some pain and, and also too some, some concessions also, but um at the end, you know, was it really worth it? You know, what, what was my end goal? Was I going to, you know, fish professionally as, a, as, as an individual or was I going to be able to, you know, do something else in the long run and then, you know, knowing that what the lifestyle was going to be like? Um, but no, it took, uh, it, was, it was a great sacrifice financially. It was a big uh, hit for the family, obviously, I and mean, we, we, uh, we invested a lot in me uh, for time, for travel, for equipment. Um, just trying to get the necessary uh, tools that needed to get out there and planning for the logistics to get out over there. And, and there's just a lot of financial um, impact at that point. But uh, you know, thankfully, I mean, I have a, a great wife that was supporting me through this whole thing and a family that was still young at the time, but still, um, you know, I didn't want to be too far away from them at too long a time, and so there was a you know there's a delicate balance that has to be there, and also too with work. Um, you know, I was gracious enough to have a an employer that allowed a little bit of leeway, a little bit of flex time, and and was able in the in the early days to be able to do some telecommuting, work on the road uh, for a little bit at time, but uh, then again, it still was the demand of the job, and you had to be there in order to earn that paycheck. So that uh, that paycheck needed to fuel the gas tank, and if you didn't have the paycheck, obviously you weren't going to run the the boat because the boats don't run on thanks and the trucks don't move on thanks uh so they uh you, you still got to balance that. but yeah it was a it was a tough journey for for quite a quite a few years uh there and still uh you know financially just trying to recover like anything else with uh with the amount of debt that you massed up i think uh you know some of the numbers that I probably massed up I was probably close to and the two events uh, traveling across country and, and being able to put some time on the water and whatnot, you know, some of the, you know, some of those, some of those trips, you know, were on uh, onwards of, of almost ten thousand by the time I was done, just uh, doing my practice and doing my travel expenses to and from towing boats and, and whatnot to get across country. So that was, uh, it's it's a quite a quite a bit of a. Uh, sacrifice that so you got to get out there and you better have a better have the means to take care of it and you know i will tell someone don't ever do it on plastic because <laughs> it'll, it'll eat you so
2: did not realize the expense of doing that now fishing here in the northwest we have clear water it's a little cooler and all of a sudden i believe one of the tournaments that you went to was in oklahoma that water is completely different how did you handle those situations
0: well, a lot of that was being able to try to find someone that was that had the local knowledge and being able to break down the lake at a particular rate uh, that was that you weren't going to be able to spend your whole lifetime. And fortunately, through my network of friends and contacts, I was able to find a, a couple good leads on the body of water. And also, too, just you know, walking and, and happen to run into a few folks there in town that were at the ramps at the boat ramps that were fishing. And uh, you know, was was able to ask for help. I um, asked asked for some help and get an understanding of these. And you know, got a got a nice uh, tour of the lake and and uh, just you know, trying to understand what uh, what these are. You know, obviously they didn't they didn't divulge every single secret, but they at least pointed me in the right direction. At least, well, this you know, this section of the lake is really shallow and gravelly. This is really deep, and this section you know, really is colder and. and you know during this this time of year but a lot of it was you know still trying to you know look at it on google earth and using uh, topography topo maps and try to figure out the contours and where the old creek channels were and so there's a lot of homework invested in there to figure it out uh, on top of it but the the Having a little bit of local knowledge obviously helped break down bodies of water and which one, uh, you know, would take a lifetime to to do. And so, you know, having, having friends, having connections out there obviously helped in getting that, uh, you know, break down a lake much more rapid than trying to go out and figure it out on my own. Now, if I didn't have it, then I would obviously use my knowledge of knowing the time of year that I would generally be looking at and figuring out what the bass's patterns were. If it was the springtime, then I would generally be looking at, um, you know, a spawn situation or post-spawn situation to say that they're lower in the, in the, uh, the latitude lines than we are, so their seasons are actually sooner. So those fish, if I was going back in April, were already spawning, whereas here in the northwest, we're not talking about quite a spawn yet because their water temperatures aren't quite warm enough yet, and they're primarily looking at the smallmouth. So, I was already in a spawn slash post spawn situation back in April uh, in the uh, in those lakes back in Oklahoma and Tennessee, and in, in here back home, it was uh, still a lot. It wasn't it hasn't progressed as fast yet. And so the timing was a lot different. So understanding that, you know, different, uh, different regions that spawn at different times and understanding what time you're going back to a particular region, well, I knew that going into it that it was going to be in a spawn slash post-spawn situation, but then, then it was just to figure out where are those major areas that you had to concentrate on and then trying to concentrate on a couple areas, not the entire lake. So because of the limited amount of time, one key was just not to spend a lot of time trying to break down every single part of the lake, but just focus on a couple key areas that one were comfortable in my eyes from being able to logistically get to them. Since you're on a foreign body of water, don't know what the weather conditions can do, and maybe it stirs up the lake so bad that the run to the spot might be a, a you know in in some very uh, big water to get to it, or it might be an easy shelter run that it's behind. Uh, Wind breaks and you'd be able to go to it. So there was a lot of planning involved on how long can I, one, get to my run, two, could I get to it in the event that the bad bad weather conditions would come up, and three, would those fish be there at the time when I came back for the tournament about a month later? Because a lot of these times we'd have practice available to us about a month in advance, and then they would shut the lake down 30 days off limits to – us uh, uh, competitors that we couldn't gain or get any knowledge uh, up until the time of official practice, which was basically a 30-day cutoff for us. And so, it, for 30 days, we had no, we didn't have any contact or trying to get or go out there and prefish and know what the conditions of the lake were. So that was, you know, obviously, obviously a challenging spot for you when you're a couple thousand miles away from a body of water and you've got to go back to it a month later. So. It's uh, definitely Boy, a uh, a challenging task to uh, to try and you know come from afar and and do well in a in a situation. So yeah, I did not
2: realize about the thirty day cutoff period. I thought that they had practice uh, right up to it. Um, now, with the amount of fishing that you've done
0: specifically bass fishing,
2: what has been your favorite body of water?
0: All-time. Mm, All-time body of water. Um, I will have to say, like, think about the number of times I've been back to a body of water and seen what the type of variety that's available to it. I would say the back on either Gunnersville, Alabama, or Grand Lake in Oklahoma would be my two bodies of water that would have a... Multitude of different types of techniques that you could do in a given day, uh, different species that are available there, and just the time of year, the type of fishing would be definitely ever-changing, just depends on what the conditions are. Now, not having to be able to get back to those bodies of water, resorting to, you know, if I was going to say a local body of water here, I would definitely have to pick the Columbia River as my number one go-to um, fishing location here just from the the standpoint of uh, the the numbers of fish that you can catch and then the different areas that you can fish for them would be my local spot.
2: Well, very good. Now, everything that I have, you know, seen, worked with you fished with you uh, a time or two. You seem to really like to teach people how to fish and I know that you work uh, with uh, casts for kids. Are there, what advice would you give a younger person and i'm hoping that some younger people listen to the podcast and you know and get interested in fishing but what advice would you give a younger person who's just
0: starting to fish well if i was going to give that young person a tip would be to one thing get involved with your clubs and community because those will open up doorways seeing that you are a contributor to the community and not just looking out for me being the you, the angler, uh, the more you can give back to your community shows one to a sponsor if you're looking to get sponsors out that you're willing to help and you're getting your hands dirty. You're not you're willing to work, get your hands dirty, and put in the time to do the work needed to become that professional. One, you're going to do wonders to help out because volunteer time is always needed. Two, you gain knowledge by working side-by-side side with people because you don't know, know everything now. And as you have the opportunity to work and talk with these people in these volunteer opportunities because you're both working towards a common interest, it builds friendships. And those friendships turn into other opportunities. And it's not just in fishing, but it could be in work life. It could be relationships. It's just the ability to be able to meet people. Once you give, you can also receive. But if you don't give, it's really hard to receive. And so that would be the one tip I would say get involved, volunteer, do your part, and that definitely helps open up opportunities for you. Because the more people you can touch, basically, at this point in your early careers, the more opportunity you have to talk and network and get out there to be noticed. And to have that also as part of your resume, if you're going to apply like anything else, if you're going to apply for work, they want to know how, how involved are you in your community? What have you done for your community? Were you a class president in high school? Did you, were you a club president of any bass clubs? Did you help volunteer anything? Did you help run anything? These are all great things. One, they're character builders, and also, two, part of helping society. You can help people out also too in these situations where everybody needs some help, and this is a great way to also meet people. So one thing I would do would say volunteer your time it would be a, a, a huge asset to yourself.
2: That's some that's some very sound advice. But all of the things that you've done and the fishing that you talked about, you know, you talked about the difficulty of it and you know how much time and effort you put into it. I must say that where it got you today, and let's talk about all of, all about adventures, excursions, because although you may not be competitively bass fishing all the time now, your your guiding service, I think, has become a, a great service because of your background and knowledge. So tell me a little bit about the, the services that you offer, and I'd also like you to talk a little bit about, you know, fish preservation and uh, and that's all, Steve. How have you how have you worked on that?
0: Well, being as a coming from, say, corporate America, that for many years I was in the in the, in the basically sitting behind a desk for twenty five years, and you know doing the fishing on the side, and you know being a volunteer, you know, president, tournament director, club presidents, state presidents. You know they take a lot of time, a lot of dedication that has to. That you have to dedicate to to make all those things happen. There's a lot of moving parts. You know, becoming a guide was, well, again, you know, not really in the cards. I mean, it was something that was out there that was planned, and you know, not knowing what the economy was going to do, that I was going to lose my job, and then I have to, you know, figure out something to do. I made a decision to go out on business on my own, so I, you know, started up all about adventure excursions. You know, we're a full service guide company that fishes for all species out there in the northwest and we also do some work on the coast and crabbing and bottom fishing as well too but the uh, you know the guiding service itself it's uh, for me it's it's an opportunity where I get to connect with people like I did back in corporate you know I like connecting with people from the standpoint that we're we can always learn from one another and it's always interesting to me to hear everybody else's story on why are you coming on this trip well you know I've always wanted to try and catch a salmon well, that's always a you know that's a great great idea, a wish to get out there and catch it and I'm truly blessed and thankful that a lot of people have shared and had the opportunity to catch those fish with me and we've been able to provide those fish for those people so the big thing is being able to connect with people and also too you know I get a lot of clients that will want to know more you know um you know that we're we're constantly i mean you, you, one thing is you should always be learning there's never anything that you know you should ever be a master at at any one point because at that point then we get stale always be constantly learning constantly thinking and that's where I think the guiding for me just keeps me on my toes because I can't rely on every single day being the same thing over and over again and as a guide obviously it's my responsibility that I want to put fish in the boat well if it's up to me to try and put fish in the boat, well, I'm going to probably do a few things that I'm going to need to do. We're going to have to change some techniques or if, the, you know, if we're getting bites on a particular technique and you know we're, we're consistently finding something and, and we're not seeing a lot of action out there anywhere and, and if we're generating bites, then well, we'll stick to a particular technique if we can generate some bites. But the, the big thing is for me out there was being able to help people actually learn and understand the environment, learn and understand about fishing and pra- best practices out there you know, a lot of things, that, you know, a lot of time I think people take for granted is they just, they want to fill the cooler. And when people think that, they're not really thinking from a conservation standpoint. They're just thinking right now, and, oh boy, how great it would be to, to catch a 100 fish and load the cooler up and me and my buddy, we caught 100 fish. Well, if you think about that from a guide standpoint is, well, that's all great and dandy for the Facebook page, for the guide that posts a picture and says that I, Caught a hundred fish with my two my two clients here, and he thinks about and let's you know just for example, let's say that that guide charged him two hundred dollars, and that that guide made four hundred dollars on the trip, and he caught a hundred fish out of the out of the particular body of water, whether they were bass or walleye or whatever, and he made four hundred dollars. Well, back in the day, before they, uh, you know, we uh, had now some some non conservation ideas that have come through. And they've, they'll remove limits and stuff, and you know, well, that's you know, kind of changed the landscape a little bit. And so now people are thinking that well, we can you know catch as much as we want. But you know, I don't know anybody that's ever gotten to the bottom of their freezer after catching 100 fish that didn't have freezer burn fish. So, you know, you think about it from a conservation standpoint, and also too, you got to be a steward and a businessman also too. Now, does it really make great business sense that a guide or an individual charges? $200 per person, and he made $400 on 100 fish. And you think about this economically here. So for 100 fish, I made $400 as a guide, and this you know thinking from a guide's perspective here. Now, if I put a limit on the boat, let's say each person gets 10 fish. So we take that 100 fish, and we divide that by 10. So we do simple math. 100 divided by 10 gives us... 10 limits. So that means 10 people now I could share those 100 fish originally caught if I put limits on it. And thinking about this too is now I don't have to beat up all my water too to get those 100 fish. I just have to worry about getting 10 a day or 10 so I don't have to worry about catching 20 fish instead of 100 fish, which also puts less strain on the environment and also too uh, for me, as a, my as my personal business, I put a, a five-fish limit on the boat, and we stick to 16 to 24-inch fish on the wall line. We stick to five bass between 12 and 14 inch, inches, and we let anything up above those become back in the water. They make great pictures. But there also, too, there's hundreds of thousands of future-generation fish that one big female, a three-pound walleye, or a two-and-a-half-pound, three-pound bath can generate years and years and years to continue that good stewardess. So going back to the numbers again, so those 100 fish that were divided by 10 people with 10 limits, now if for 10 people, if I put 10 people on my boat at $200 a seat, that now translates instead of just $400, 10 times 200 is $2,000. Well, now I just made... across 10 people. And if I take that another step, and let's say going back to what our old limits were and satisfying still, there's plenty of fish. You know, we catch fresh fish. We want to put nice fish. The old limits were five fish per person. Now, if I take that 100 again and divide that by five, that goes five into a 100 goes in there 20 times. That means I can use those 100 fish 20 times now And at $200 a seat, if I take 20 people out on the water, it's now going to result in a $4,000 profit versus a $400 profit. And I'm able to get more people out on the water. I'm able to, one, conserve the resource, save them for future generations. I'm not having to work as hard because I only need to catch five fish now for my clients as a limit and also puts less strain on the environment and protects it for other folks to enjoy it. So I'm not raping all of the spots, cleaning them out, because, I mean, right now I mean, there's a lot of anglers out there. They're scratching their heads. Where would all these fish go? Well, after a couple of years of taking non-stop limits after limits after, you know, no control, well, I tend to put a hurt on the fishery pretty quick, and I don't care what someone else says. When, these, when you don't have female fish or broodstock to generate future runs – it's hard to create it since no one else is planting or putting these fish from a hatchery. And so we've got to be good stewards of ourselves to police ourselves and to manage that. And so from a business owner's standpoint, what sounds better to you? A $400 profit for your 100 fish or $4,000 profit for your 100 fish you caught across 20 people? And that now you've got a bigger clientele base now that you can draw from, and now you've got 20 people versus just two buddies talking about your guide service. And so there's a lot of economic and also, too, environmental benefits of limiting your catch and limiting your kill.
2: I would hope that people, if they want the opportunity to go out, and especially if they want to go out with a guide and, and learn how to fish, certainly I know that there's going to be some harvesting out there. I hope that, they, that they're able to get some fish. But, you know, the, the ability to take 20 people out and show them how to fish as opposed to two, for me, makes, makes so much more sense. And a lot of times on the podcast, I have found this little saying, and I use it quite a bit, that game fish are too valuable to be caught just once. So I hope that people will think about that when they're fishing, whether they're fishing on their own or fishing with a guide, and that they are able to put some of those fish back, and especially if they see a pregnant female fish. you know, Nurse it back to health if they can, and put it back in the water. Uh, I caught a, a big perch off of the dock uh, here just a couple of weeks ago, and it was very pregnant. Made sure she was in good shape, took a picture of it, and put it back in the water. So I, I hope the people will will do that. Now, with the hold on fishing, what does your reservation book look like, and how are you handling
0: reservations? Well, at this point, Don, I mean, with the state uh, having, you know, put basically a hold on all group and gatherings, which – basically the Marine board said that we are not allowed to do that. I mean, my book has been fairly open nowadays, just with folks not uncertain at this point. And so, you know, we're available for, for bookings from here on out, uh, you know, once the band's lifted and it sounds like now we're going to go until probably the end of April at some point before we can actually start going in out to fishing. Um, but, at the end of uh, April, first half of May, we're going to be in prime time salmon. We're going to be in prime time walleye and bass time. So it's going to be a great time where we can get people out on the boat and uh, get them out catching instead of just fishing. So, um, you know, like I said, we're ready. We're ready to take on, take on the business. And do you think that this taking a
2: month off, economically I realize this is not good for anybody, but do you think taking a month off of fishing is going to help the – the fishing and catching out on the rivers
0: uh, i think it will uh you yeah, i mean there's going to be obviously less pressure on the fish and they're going to be able to uh, get in there and do their spawn and, and be uh, unharassed and hopefully you know folks will uh you know be uh, abiding by the uh, you know the rules and regulations that are set forth as, as, as at this point but yeah it, it should help you know some cert- certain situations out there definitely um, you know obviously if there's no human intervention at any one point nature can go ahead and do its course and uh definitely beneficial for for the nature itself without having any human intervention so i would say yes we would definitely see uh you know a, a, an improvement out there but i don't think it's going to be obviously impactful to all species i think just uh, you know a few species out there will probably uh, you know be uh, be less impacted but um you know we'll still have to see what uh, what returns
2: well, this has been this has been a great uh, half hour or so, and I, I appreciate you stopping by. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, your website, what social media to watch for
0: you on, and how to get a hold of you. Well, you can find me out on the uh, on the web at uh, aaaexcursions.com dot uh, com. That's the website. Feel free to reach out to me via phone. I am uh, cell phone or texting five zero three seven eight one six four seven three. And you can find me out there on Facebook at All About Adventure Excursions and also on Instagram at uh, AAA Excursions. And I'll be out there uh, posting some videos and some doing some uh, trainings as well, too. So we'll do some, uh, some fishing stories and we'll do some electronics training as well out there. So if you're in need of any one of those, feel free to contact me and we can get out there and uh, get you some type of video conferencing and... and Chat about uh, fishing or um, electronics. Well, this has
2: been great. I'd like to thank you for stopping
0: by, Ed. Thanks, Don. Appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you on the water again.
1: Well, I'd like to thank Ed for coming on Talking Bass in PDX on this episode. I hope that during the interview that you were able to pick up some of Ed's knowledge and networking techniques, and possibly even a few lessons along the way. Now, as I said at the top of the show, Ed does own AAA Excursions, or all about adventure excursions. He can be contacted at AAA Excursions, and if you want to go on a great trip, guided trip for bass, walleye, salmon, steelhead, even some sturgeon fishing, Ed's the guy to contact. Let him know that you heard about AAA Excursions from Talking Bass in PDX. I'd like to give everybody a bit of a fishing update this past week. Although we're still quarantined, we're still social distancing. Hag Lake is still open. Washington County is still allowing Washington County is still allowing folks to go out and fish the lake. Now there were quite a few boats on the water this past weekend. Most of them are trout fishing, but we were out bass fishing, and we looked all over the lake. The lake is pretty close to full pool, and the water temperature is right about 51 degrees, so things are getting ready to break open out there. And so if you would like to go fishing and you are sitting around home, Hag Lake might be your best bet. Well, once again, I'd like to thank Ed for coming on the show. For show ideas or feedback, email me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. I'd like to thank everybody. And until next time, this has been Don Clark on Talking Bass in PDX. And I'll see you on the backcast.